0: It answers. Are Mormons Christian? What does the average Mormon think about this question? What are the differences between Mormonism and Christianity? You're tuned to Evidence and Answers with your host, Pat Zucran. Pat is an author, teacher, and international speaker in the arena of Christian apologetics, the defense of the Christian faith. Today in our broadcast, our host, Pat Zucran, will be interviewing Dr. Corey Miller, and they will be discussing his story of growing up in the Mormon church to finding the Jesus of the Bible. If you've missed any portion of this broadcast, All of our messages are available on our website. That's evidenceandanswers.org. Now, on to today's broadcast.
1: And that Jesus, who's written about everywhere in the Book of Mormon, came to what they say in John 10 refers to his lost sheep of another fold. And Jesus came over to the Americas to teach his people here as well. And it's the story of Jesus coming to the Americas. It's just another story that they say is complementary With the Bible. But when you look at the Book of Mormon, what is it? Is it an inspired text, eclectic inspiration, or inspired eclecticism? More than 10% of the Book of Mormon is directly plagiarized. I mean, entire chapters in lump sum, in some places, from the Bible. And this is not even really a question, but it was done so by the King James Bible as well, and we know that because it's got, uh, say, the Lord's Prayer in it: "For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever, Amen." Right? Starts out hallowed by thy name and ends that other way. But they didn't use what we would consider as a from biblical scholarship to have the best manuscripts. They were using the King James, and archaic text that wasn't, that had many inaccuracies. They still have that passage, the ending part to the Lord's Prayer, which most conservative Bible scholars don't think was in the original, and they've got that. So it's not just that they plagiarized part of the Bible, they plagiarized a particular version of the Bible as well, over 10% of it. And, you know, modern scientists have come to realize, really, with one particular ex-Mormon who was a geneticist, did the tests on this, and, and the Native American Indian and the Jews, they, they were not the same people. In fact, the conventional wisdom was that the Native Americans came over the Bering Strait from India, ergo Indians, and their theology or their worldview was pantheistic or polytheistic, much like it is in Hinduism. It was not Jewish. It was not monotheistic. So they've got the wrong people, there are things in the Book of Mormon that were not there in pre-Columbian days, so it's archaeological problems, historical problems, philosophical problems, biblical problems, you name it, it's a problematic book. But it is the story of Jesus coming to the Americas.
2: Yes, and I know that the Mormon archaeologists have been really frustrated in the lack of archaeological support for the Book of Mormon, isn't that right?
1: Right. I was in a debate sometime this last year. Uh, I had a debate with two Mormon scholars. One was at the University of Utah, historian, and the other was on uh, Justin Brierley's radio program on Premier Radio, Unbelievable. Uh, I was with James Holt over there in the UK. And in both cases, I brought this issue up. I said, two years ago, I traveled with a team to Israel. And We had the opportunity not only to survey the land and see what was a veritable sandbox of archaeological toys for years to come. In fact, our team, a bunch of novices guided by experts, had one hour in the Kidron Valley to excavate, and I personally found something from the 6th century in one hour. That whole place is just a veritable goldmine of archaeology supporting the Bible. And I looked up above the tent where we were at, and it was so ironic. Right above us was the Brigham Young University, the BYU-Israel campus that they paid cash for. And so one of my team members and I ran up to the top of the hill to get a selfie, because, of course, that's what you have to do, right, with modern technology. (laughs) And I thought to myself, as I'm looking at that campus, I thought, oh, my goodness, I've been here for 10 days And I see the Bible now in 3D. I see it in color uh, like never before. Uh, This is amazing. This Bible has all kinds of archaeology backing it up. And yet I wonder if those poor students who have spent a semester here in the Holy Land are asking the question of the professors in the classroom, Professor, why don't we even have a bone for the Book of Mormon? 400,000 Lamanites, 200,000 Nephites, great battle up in New York. Not a bone and I find something from the sixth century within one hour. I mentioned that, and James Holt said, Corey's right, we don't have it. Now, that doesn't mean it's not there. It's just that we haven't found it yet. And the same thing with the, the strain of American Indians that the Book of Mormon is supposed to be about. They've since realized, okay, genetically, these Jews and Indians are not the same. So they've now changed their posture and says, well, it's a very slim, slim minority of those who existed in the Americas. We just haven't found them yet. (laughs) Again, it's that missing link that is still missing, and I suspect will be missing for a real long time.
2: Yeah, and that is huge. Christianity is uniquely a historical faith. Literally, tens of thousands of archaeological discoveries confirm people, places, events of the Bible. You don't find that with Mormonism in in a book that claims to be uh, giving us the history of the ancient Americas. Well, Corey, here in Hawaii, and as I'm traveling throughout Southeast Asia, Mormonism is proliferating in Hawaii and the Pacific Islands. Mm. Why is that? And many of our listeners here were on talk shows here in Hawaii and Southeast Asia and the Philippines. Why is Mormonism proliferating so much here in the Pacific?
1: Yes, I would love to get out there. We have two chapters in the Philippines and one chapter of Russia. Christie is still at its nascent stages in Hawaii, but they are capturing the parts of the world that (laughs) haven't really, I think, investigated or are not as close to the areas to investigate like others have in, in America and in Europe to find these problems. You're finding what is called a Mormon Exodus occurring right now in the States where 49 to 51% of Mormons leaving Mormonism are being swept up by the new atheism, which is really a sort of Western European and American phenomena as well. But they're making strides in Southeast Asia and Africa and Central and South America. I don't think we have as much information down in those areas that alert people to the problems of Mormonism. And so they're very active, and what Mormons do is they literally train for months in a missionary training center how to capitalize on the foundation of Protestants and Catholics. So they never go in and excavate new ground. They go into pre-existing gospel places where they can say missionary discussion number one. They can create the need for a living prophet by showing, look at how many different denominations there are. Doesn't that signal that there's a problem here? Wouldn't it be great? Wouldn't it be necessary for God to preserve his truth if there was a living prophet or apostles? Well, do you know of any church, Mr. Smith, that has a living apostle, living apostles or prophets? Well, yes, you said yours does. That's right, Mr. Smith. And so they they capitalize in missionary discussion number one in the home on the relative ignorance of the average Christians, and they build, they use that to build their foundation, to rip out the foundation, to create doubt in what may have been relatively stable, but sort of ignorant foundation by that average Christian. They convert an average-sized Baptist church per week just from that denomination alone. So I think the average Christian doesn't know what they believe and why they believe it. And sadly, many pastors really aren't equipping them for this. They're not ready for it. The average Christian becomes bait in that respect. And so pastors need to be doing a better job involving apologetics, the defense of the faith in their congregations. It needs to be not just the leather trim on the furniture, It needs to be part and parcel with the gospel message itself going forward in our cultures.
2: Yes, and that's why, you know, Roscio Christi exists to come alongside churches and help equip them in this arena and evidence and answers and other ministries like ours. You know, Walter Martin, a guy I got to study under for a little while, um, stated that the majority who end up in the kingdom of the cults, about 80%, come from Christian church backgrounds. And that's because, as you just stated, many Christians are not equipped in biblical teaching or in defending, you know, why they believe. And so they're easy prey to not only Mormonism, but Jehovah Witnesses and the Iglesia de Cristo and other cult groups that are out there. They're easy targets.
1: Yeah, it's so fun to hear that you got to study under Walter Martin. I I learned from him early on coming out of Mormonism. He was so instrumental. He said, are you willing to do more for the truth than the cults are for a lie? Wow. Good challenge for the Christians.
2: Yes. Now, also, and you touched on this earlier, that we see a lot of Mormons involved in politics. I think for the last maybe 10 elections, we at least had a Mormon candidate running for president, usually in the Republican Party. In fact, the last before Trump here, I I think our candidate was Mitt Romney, a, a Mormon bishop. And I have friends working in the FBI, and the CIA, working as interns in the government, and all their buddies, everyone around them is Mormon. You know, why are they so involved in American politics?
1: Yeah, there's a disproportionate number in the CIA and FBI, just like in government. Well, Mormonism sees itself as somewhat of an eventual theocracy that will emerge in america so they've got kind of a distinct eschatology as far as that goes you know this is this is the land of zion this is the promised land and it's an interesting situation for us as traditional or evangelical christians because we tend to agree with them when it comes to you know many of the social or political issues we vote uh like them we're pro-life we have a certain stance on on human sexuality, and as I, you know, wrote this book, I said that there's a sense in which I didn't want to write it, because at a time when we are facing more hostility, at least in, you know, in, in America and Europe against Christianity than we've ever faced in the history of Christianity, we need our alliances where we can get them. And so we ought to be friends with them rather than, you know, creating enemies by writing, writing a book like this. But, you know, it's necessary. And I said it's necessary that this happen. And I, I waited for a long, long time. I never posted on Facebook about my conversion away from Mormonism to Christianity, even though a lot of people knew of it. But I, I wanted to wait for just the right time to drop the bomb and make it impactful because I knew once I did that, I would lose a lot of friends and for me it's you know i had to decide this was a loving thing for me to do uh, to warn them of the condition of their souls knowing that I had one shot to do it with with many of them. You know, people can tell the truth without love, but you cannot love without telling the truth. And so I quoted early on in the book, I quoted two seminary presidents, Al Mohler and Richard Land, who both back-to-back ended up getting speaking opportunities at BYU. And I think it was Al Mohler who said to the BYU audience, I do not believe that we are going to heaven together, but I do believe we may go to jail together. (laughs) (laughs) You know, we we can vote together, Mormons make good citizens and good neighbors, but their concept of God is false, their concept of salvation is false, and you can be sincerely right on so many other beliefs or sincerely wrong on them, and it won't make a huge difference in eternity. But if you're sincerely wrong on essentials, then your soul is gone. And if we love Mormons, we need to share with them the truth.
2: Absolutely. So, you know, as we are concluding our show, Cora, I know we could do a whole show on this, but uh, as uh, succinctly as you can, you know, what are some effective ways of sharing the truth with a Mormon missionary that comes knocking on our door?
1: Yeah, I tend to like, and I would say that your listeners would probably want to get either my book or one or two others that has you know, the methodology in it. One of my particular chapters, because the other chapters are written by other scholars as well, but my preferred method is to first deal with the issue of the Mormon testimony. I know we haven't talked about that much on this show uh, yet. I had an article published in Christian Research Journal this past year on it on the use and the misuse of testimony, but I write about it in this book as well. You've got, to, you've got to deal with the essential issues, God and salvation, both of which are connected in Jesus. But before you get there, you've got to deal with the issue of the Mormon testimony. Why? Because the Mormon will say, I don't care what you show me, I don't care if you disprove my religion, I know that it's true. Don't confuse me with the facts, I've got a feeling. I bear you my testimony. Joseph Smith, a prophet of God. The Book of Mormon is the Word of God. And the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints is the one true church. I bear you my testimony. And when it comes to religious knowledge, this is, for the average Mormon, this is the be-all, end-all of it. It's not the Book of Mormon. It's not the Mormon prophet. It's the testimony. And until there is room for doubt made there, until you are able to undermine the overconfidence in the testimony... You're not going to get very far when it gets to my preferred method, which is taking the Mormon through the Book of Mormon, on the job to be done and, and the deadline by which to do it. And then, when you show the mission impossible, you enter in with the Gospel, the Roman road, Romans 3.23, 6.23, 10.9 and 10, or you know Ephesians 2, 8, 9, 10. But before you get to that preferred method of going through the Book of Mormon, helping them to see their need for grace, which swallowing a lot of the Book of Mormon makes you hungry for it, you've got to deal with the mormon testimony and to do so it can be a little bit tricky because you've got to show them why you believe in testimony because the bible has testimony uh, the bible you know says that we ought to bear our testimony as well but when the sole test of truth is on a subjective testimony that spells problems. And so what I do is I, I offer this thing called the police lineup illustration. I wrote a chapter in uh, Sean McDowell's recent book on sharing the gospel with Mormon. And I have this in, in our book as well, as that Christian Research Journal article. And that is, I ask the Mormon to consider uh, something like a police lineup, right, where you have numerous potential people who are culprits for some activity you're standing behind the glass and you're wondering which one is the right individual that i'm supposed to pick out from the crowd and so you bring up to the mormon and you say wow you know this stuff sounds really interesting and if i want more than anything else to spend eternity with my heavenly father and you say that to know this is true all i have to do is pray about it and i can receive a testimony burning in my bosom as Dolan oaks a mormon apostle put it but my problem is this. I know of different Mormon sects. Some of them believe in polygamy and believe that Adam is God. Others believe that the church migrated to Salt Lake under Brigham Young, and they have their distinctive beliefs in prophets and apostles. Others believe that the fact that when Joseph Smith died, he didn't have a succession in mind, and so whereas Brigham Young, the senior apostle, went to Utah— Joseph Smith's first wife and his son with the last name of Smith went to Missouri and started what was called the Reorganized Church of Latter-day Saints. Now it's uh, the Community of Christ. Well, which one is it? If each one of those came into my home and bore their testimony, that they knew the Book of Mormon was true, knew that Joseph Smith was a prophet of God, knew that the uh, Church of Jesus Christ, their version of it, was the one true church— and they bore their testimony so sincerely and got teary-eyed expressing it, which one is the one, one true church that I'm supposed to believe? Well, the Mormon missionary is going to say, well, ours, of course. So you say, okay, are you saying that those other Mormons bearing testimony are false then? Yes, I would have to be saying that. Okay, are you saying that they are lying? Are you judging their hearts? And we all know don't judge is pretty popular in our culture, even by secularists. Oh, no, we wouldn't judge another's heart, but you are saying they're deceived, right? Right. Okay. So what that tells me is that a testimony, a subjective encounter is susceptible to deception. Correct. Question, how do you know you're not deceived? At best, only one of these sects can be true and truth be told, you read the book Scattering of the Saints, a recent book a decade ago written by Mormon authors, there have been over 150 different Mormon sects since the death of Joseph Smith. My family began or with, with one of them. Wow. I didn't know that. 150. All I want to use is two or three for the police lineup illustration to make the point. And why is this point so powerful? Because on the first missionary discussion, the Mormon comes into your home. And he tells you the story of the grove, that Joseph Smith was being accosted by the Presbyterians and the Congregationalists and the Methodists, join my church, no, join mine, no, join mine. And he didn't know which church to join. So he went into the forest, into the grove to pray, and he received revelation that he was to join none of them. And the gospel was then and there restored to Joseph Smith. So they're familiar with this idea of a quasi-police lineup of many different religions or denominations, vying for their allegiance. So I use this on them because they can empathize with that kind of a story. I say, I sort of stand in the position that you described Joseph Smith in, when various denominations were wanting him to join. Here you are now in my home wanting me to join, and you've got the fundamentalist wanting me to join, and you've got the descendants directly of Joseph Smith wanting me to join, and all these other sects. Which one is true at best? Only one can be true because they're logically contradictory, at worst, they're all false, they're contraries. So how do I know which one is true? And then I launch in and I bear my testimony, First John 5, 9-13, it uses the word testimony five to seven different times, and it talks about grace, 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 grace. And that comes after I've taken them through the salvation in the Book of Mormon, and then the Romans Road and Genesis in the Bible. I bear my testimony, because Mormons understand testimony. They epistemology or theory of knowledge of the heart. The Christian has to learn to speak the Mormon language and do it passionately, passionately as does the Mormon. Testimonies are effective, but first we have to undermine one testimony in order to bring viability to the next. Finally, i just say this, well, you believe testimony too, so don't you have a problem? No, because what we want is for our subjective testimony to line up with objective testimony. And we've already talked about the archaeology and the historicity of the Bible, so that our testimony of the biblical Jesus is rooted, in fact, not in blind faith.
2: Yeah, that's a great technique that I've used uh, many times, you know, when they share with me their testimony, how they know it's true because of the burning in the bosom. And uh, that's a great technique to use. Well, tell us a little bit uh, as we close here about your book, Leaving Mormonism, Why Four Scholars Changed Their Minds. Why is this a unique book on Mormonism?
1: Yeah, and, and if I get a chance, if I'm over there, I'm actually next week planning our first ever trip to Hawaii later this year. love to maybe connect with you there, and maybe there's ministry opportunities too. But this book, I was hoping the original title was going to be Testimonies and Reasons, because of that emphasis on testimony and then the reasons from the individual scholars. The publisher changed it. I was happy with the change, why four scholars changed their minds, leaving Mormonism, but I had this idea about a decade ago, because there is a group of Christian scholars that I think are capitulating to the Mormons. And it's been happening increasingly for about two decades. And a lot of Christians are following their route, thinking that Mormons aren't very different theologically from Christians, when in fact they are. And those Christians are thinking, well, gosh, and those guys are Christian scholars, and so they must be right. And the Mormons exploit those Christian scholars and quote them at length and use their works to try to neutralize the Christian pastors. If they can neutralize a Christian pastor, they've just neutralized their entire flock as well, so that now Christians aren't trying to convert Mormons, but Mormons can still convert traditional Christians. So we wanted to come in with the first of its kind ever whose authors had to satisfy the three following criteria. One, they had to be former insiders, former Mormons. Two, they have to be current, broadly evangelical. A lot of Mormons leave and they become atheist or agnostic, or Mormons that leave aren't scholars. And three, they have to possess an academic doctorate. So that with those three, there's never been a book like that written. We're able to speak into a new area already this year. I've had uh, two debates with Mormon scholars, and I hope it opens up more doors through this process. We were able to launch uh, multiple chapters in Utah and other places. And so the the book has been helpful to open doors that would otherwise not have been there. And it is able to speak more authoritatively, I think, in... The conversation and the dialogue that I think has been co-opted by those who don't really understand. Uh, each of us four authors were all Mormon before. We've all lived in Utah, so we know the Mormon psychology, we know the Mormon sociology, and we know Mormon theology as well. So we're hoping to really be a new voice in the discussion but one that carries more weight for those various reasons.
2: Fantastic. You've been listening to Evidence and Answers, and we've been speaking with Dr. Corey Miller, President and CEO of Ratio Christi, a fantastic college ministry. We're going to have to have him back on the show talk about Ratio Christi uh, on another time. He grew up a seventh-generation Mormon and came to Christ in 1988. He's the author of a fantastic book, Leaving Mormonism, Why Four Scholars Changed Their Minds. And Corey, if people want more information on you, where can they go to find more information?
1: Yeah, thank you. Ratiochristy.org. Ratio, like ratio, Christi, but with an Christ with an I. Ratiochristy.org.
2: Fantastic. You've been listening to Evidence and Answers, where we provide compelling evidence for faith and hope in Christ and biblical answers to the challenges Christians face today. Thank you for being with us.
0: We've run out of time. Thank you so much for joining us here on Evidence & Answers radio broadcast. If you would like Pat to speak at your church, Bible study, or perhaps hold an apologetics conference, give him a call in Hawaii. That number is 483-0586. Or you may contact him through the Evidence & Answers website. That's evidenceandanswers.org. To keep broadcasts like Pat's on the air, we rely on generous support from you, our listeners, for the opportunity to donate head on over to our website, once again, that's evidenceandanswers.org, and you may do so right there online. You'll find we have a wide variety of resources available to you, everything from atheism to Zen Buddhism, including articles and additional audio for you to listen to or download, so be sure to share our website with those around you. Join us again next time on the air or online as we provide compelling reasons for faith in Christ. That's Evidence and Answers with Pat Zucron.